Most people have heard or have been told osteoarthritis is wear and tear of the joint which isn't really the most up-to-date way of thinking about it. There's a lot of people who are very active for their whole lives who don't end up with osteoarthritis or wear and tear. And it's a very mechanical way of looking at the body, like a tire, you're driving around, there's only so much life you've got in a tire. The more you drive, the more it wears down and you get wear and tear in the tire until you have to have the tire replaced. It's important to acknowledge that the body isn't a machine, there are some similarities, but we adapt and respond to the stimulus and loads that we put on our bodies. With pretty much every pain or injury condition, there's gonna be an influence of your general health. The way you sleep, the way you eat, your general movement diet, how much you're moving, your stress. All of these things can contribute to your systemic or whole body level of inflammation mm. and therefore can predispose you to things like osteoarthritis. The wear and tear, like as words, aren't that problematic. It's just the story that ends up coming with the words. Yeah. Like can, it can be very problematic because people then stop trusting their body or themselves. So you stop exercising, you stop exercising, a lot of these other things can occur. And you don't even need to be super conscious of it like that all often happens at the subconscious level like if mm. someone tells you, you know, you're a 60 year old knee and you're 20 you will subconsciously probably try to avoid loading that knee across many decades which may end up making it worse in the long run welcome to the restore to explore podcast from the foot collective we're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so we can all explore movement and life with freedom and confidence all right, here we are for another outdoor podcast. Outdoor podcasts are our favorite podcasts. Yeah, they are nice, although we will forewarn there is some big gusts of breeze coming through. It, it, We're sitting under a falling. beautiful jacaranda that is rusting a little bit, so if you hear that, uh, you're welcome for the, <laughs> for the nature sounds. You can, you can pay good money for that. Yes. Um, so yeah, today we are exploring osteoarthritis Ooh. and sort of focusing on the knee because we're doing a series on knee conditions and knee osteoarthritis is the most common form of osteoarthritis but of course it can be present in in the feet, in the ankles, in the hips, in the hands, I guess pretty much any joint in the spine. Well, I was about to say, literally any joint. Literally any joint. Yeah. <laughs> so you name it, it can have osteoarthritis um, and a lot of the principles we talk about today will of course relate to osteoarthritis in other joints. Mm. Um, but yeah, why don't we just start with the usual define yeah, definition, starting from some anat working forward. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of already defined it in one sense there, right? Like when we look at the word osteoarthritis, you it's really, name. yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of scary sounding pieces, really. Osteo is bone. The arth part to that is just the joint and then the itis is inflammation, which we've mentioned many times. So you're really having some form of inflammation in the bone, but that the bone in the joint. Yeah. Right. So in and around the bones yeah. and joints. Yeah. So it's sort of just again, it's it's a word that's been. It can sound a bit more scary than it actually is. You know, it's just explaining a location and b some inflammation. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, yeah. What becomes really interesting is when you start getting into more of like the types because it's sort of when you look at it, there, there's two types. There's a primary type and then the secondary type of osteoarthritis. So. The primary type is looking at, again, articular degeneration uh, without any apparent underlying reason or any cause. Yeah, and articular meaning, by the way, yeah. joint. So, a joint. So, so, joint degeneration. Yeah, so again, like, there's always these words, but they're all just essentially referring back to joints and things changing. So degeneration is just, you know, a way in which across time they've used the word degeneration. I don't look the same as at 20 as I do at 60. Yeah. Like, you know, things just change. The second type, uh, so the second uh, sort of knee osteoarthritis is more of a consequence of something that occurs when you have trauma. So if you think injury, you think um, sort of autoimmune disease like RA, these are things that can lead into osteoarthritis. So a lot of people get concerned when they're younger and they have say major injuries to their knees such as ACLs or you have ankle sprains and stuff and they get concerned down the track they're gonna get arthritis in the joints. And mm -hmm. you can see across time that some people who have these injuries and don't necessarily look after the areas or really get through their full sort of rehabilitation program can have a higher tendency to have uh, the development of some form of osteoarthritis. But again, primary versus secondary, I mean, I think it, it's good to know that they have two definitions, one without any sort of underlying reason, probably suggests that it's a natural occurrence in some way, like joints change in yeah. some capacity. Or I guess, or a bit more of a systemic occurrence, mm. which is, I think, something that has been explored more recently 
in the research is looking at osteoarthritis as more of a systemic disease and I guess that's I guess mostly relating to primary osteoarthritis yeah. where it's actually inflammation systemically as in throughout your whole body not just locally in a single joint and I think traditionally most people have heard or have been told osteoarthritis is wear and tear of the joint which isn't really the most up-to-date way of thinking about it because there's a lot of people who are very active for their whole lives who don't end up with osteoarthritis or wear and tear and, and the body it's a very mechanical way of looking at the body you know like a tire you're driving around there's only so much life you've got in a tire the more you drive the more it wears down and mm. you get wear and tear in the tire until you have to have the tire replaced is the more traditional narrative when it comes to osteoarthritis and I think it's important to acknowledge that the body isn't a machine. There are some similarities, but we adapt and respond to the stimulus and loads that we put on our body. So it's definitely more complex than just, oh, you use that joint far too much and therefore it degenerated and therefore you need a new one. Um, and I think from what I can tell from the research and from what I understand about it, there would be some systemic factors going on. We've talked about this before in the past to do with pretty much every pain or injury condition. There's going to be an influence of your general health, mm. the way you sleep, the way you eat, um, your general movement diet, how much you're moving, um, your stress. All of these things can contribute to your systemic or whole body sort of level of inflammation mm. and therefore can predispose you to things like osteoarthritis. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good point too, because like the whole, the wear and tear like as words aren't that problematic, are they? Like they're just words. It's just the story that ends up coming with the words. Yeah. Like can, it can be very problematic because people then stop trusting their body or themselves. And then, and that's something that really does happen is like you stop trusting oneself. So you stop exercising, you stop exercising, a lot of these other things can occur and you don't even need to be super conscious of it. Like that all often happens at the subconscious level. Like if mm. someone tells you, oh, your knee's... And there, you know, a 60 year old knee and you're 20, you will subconsciously probably try to avoid loading that knee across many decades, which may end up making it worse in the long run. Yeah, and I think it's in well, it's interesting, and we're about, we'll talk about risk factors, but one of the risk factors for osteoarthritis is actually sedentary, a sedentary mm. lifestyle. Yeah. So, you're actually in a sedentary lifestyle, you're actually using your joints less, mm. and probably I'm kind of thinking out loud here probably part of it is actually not so much necessarily an overuse of a certain joint as much as a lack of variability. So, in, for example, knee osteoarthritis, if your only movement option that you can explore is bending at the knees and you don't have a good ability to bend at the hips, for example, then yes, maybe you will do too many bends at the knees with not enough bends in the hips, there's not enough variability Whereas if you can move more equally between the two, you can share the load between the two, then it might help you prevent mm. things like that. But it's, it's so multifactorial that you really can't nail it down to like, oh, I did a lot of deep squats and therefore I have osteoarthritis. Because no, it's not that simple. It's, it's yeah. a, something uh, actually, not in the notes, but you just pondered my mind about it. Is like I read a piece of research years ago around runners because obviously there's a huge... People have this conception that running is really bad for your knees, right? Mm. And essentially what the research showed is if you didn't run versus if you're an elite runner, the the outcome on your knee health was essentially the same. And what they found was that the sedentarism and then like being an elite athlete with a lot of pressure, financial incentives, uh, all these other things that go with it, they tend to influence your knee health. Whereas if you're a, a regular runner who runs two to four times a week and you ran at a sort of comfortable pace, you don't really run when you're injured, you sort of just do it within your limits your knee cartilage was really good and it was really healthy and i think it sort of speaks to the point like it's not hmm. just about variability per se but it's also this really interceptive i'm just going to run when i feel like i can run and i'm going to build it up appropriately like what we've spoken about in the past without pushing it without trying to like completely collapse or like really just running fast all the time yeah it's interesting I always, I always like to come back to the movement nutrition analogy mm. and, you know, the concept of quantity, quality and variety. And so usually when there's some kind of musculoskeletal issue, 
there is some contribution from an imbalance between those movement nutrients, quantity, quality, mm. variety. Just like we, ha- like we would expect with food, oranges, and you've probably heard me talk about this before <laughs> at Infinitum, but oranges are really good for you. They they've good. got a lot of nutritional value. They're tasty. <laughs> um, they've got certain nutrients, vitamin C, and probably heaps of other ones. Uh, but if you only eat oranges, then at some point you're going to be deficient in something. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's the sedentary, and this is what we see, there's, there's sedentarism in our, in our population. Modern population is very sedentary, as in they don't have much physical activity at all. But even the people who exercise are kind of actively sedentary, as in they're, they're, mm. they're moving, obviously, when they do their exercise, and often it's a very specialised form of exercise, and so they're possibly getting more quantity than someone who's just a full couch potato, to, yep. not to use that word, but uh, someone who just doesn't do any exercise. But there's still not much variability and, you know, it's a lot of loading in one certain way, whereas humans are actually made to load in lots of different ways um, frequently and, and maybe not with as high intensity as an elite runner is doing yeah. consistently. Yes. So, yeah. It's complex, mm. but it's very important that people don't see it as just, well, I used the joint too much. Yes. <laughs> and, and because what that creates is a fear of doing certain movements like deep squats or, you know, generally things that are loading. Really good for you. Yeah, but things that mm. can actually be really good for your joints mm. when it's done in the right context and in the right um, volume and the right frequency and yeah. so on. And which sort of speaks to, again, uh, the rate of progression. Because it's so complex, it varies per person. So, like, someone who has, you know, say, a level of osteoarthritis in the knee at a certain age, and then, you know, you watch the progression across 10, 20 years, that's going to change per person, per activity, per what movement nutrients they put in, per their diet, per everything. So, it's it's very varied, and it, it the way it does get diagnosed, and I was interested to still see, like, x-ray is still the way that they do it. Like, mm. it's like a primary sort of set in the medical world. But when you go into like the other part, they do look at you know what are your existing risk factors and clinical examination. So think of that like your existing uh, lifestyle. So what are you eating? What are you sleeping? What's your social life like? You really want to delve into the person to understand more about how they're going to be a coper, not coper. How they're dealing with life and stress, etc. Mm. And then like the clinical examination of what's the range been like? How do they move? What are their movement nutrients like? You have you want to have a really good look at all of them. But X-ray was still like across all the papers that I looked at, all the websites, they'd all said x-ray first. Yeah, which is really interesting. And this concept comes up a lot in our topic, in our podcasts, but there will, there are a lot of people who would have what's known as osteoarthritic changes mm. on x-ray with no pain in the area. Yeah, And so that's a, another important point is like, yes, there might be what looks like degeneration in a joint, and I'm sure if you, well, I know if you imaged my knees, I've talked about this before yeah. as well, there would be elements of degeneration mm. in the joint, but they're pain-free. I can jump, I can crawl, I can climb, I can run. If you haven't seen check out the Instagram. You yeah. Again. <laughs> uh, with no pain. And so do I care if there's degeneration in my joint? Am I going to go and get a joint replacement right now because there's degeneration? Probably not. So symptoms really matter. Pain really matters. Mm. Um, And obviously the effect that pain has on your ability to engage in physical activity really matters. And that's Mm. generally what most people care about. If you, if you, you know, took a hundred people with no pain and you told them, oh, your knee is degenerated, but they can do all of the things they want to do. They've got full function. Mm. Are they going to be concerned? Are they going to want to get a joint replacement? Probably not. No. It's, it's really the pain and disability that makes you want to seek treatment. Yes, 100%. Yeah, and like you mean, we'll talk about um, some of the ways you, it gets treated with surgery and such. But like I've seen numerous people in their 60s through to 90s who would definitely have those changes on scans for sure. Improve their movement. And like a lot of it was just stick the course have some structure, have a bit of variety, do it for like six to 12 months, like actually do it. And all the changes really do occur. You've just got to stick the course and get moving. Yeah, which we'll, we will talk about treatments, yes. approaches uh, in a little bit. And it is worth noting that it's very common, by the oh, way. 
That prevalence number, when you put it up there, I was shocked. Yeah. Oh, I didn't actually realize. 500 million people worldwide. Well, we can't, are we near 8 billion now in the world? I don't know. Or is it 7.5? Uh, I, I think it's over 8 billion like in the world. I mean, I don't know what the maths are. I should, probably, we should have probably done that statistic, but it still seems like a lot of people worldwide suffering with something that seems somewhat modifiable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it is a lot of people. Mm. I can't, I'm not sure exactly on the percentage. Um, of like 500 million of eight, what's what does that equal? I don't know. A sixteenth. Yeah. 16th of the population of eight. Yeah, so well, we got here. Yeah. So two million Australians have hip or knee OA. So like we have what 27 million here. Yeah. Roughly. So that's like 10 percent. Yeah. 10%. But that's so only that's, hip that's or knee. Yeah. 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 So then, yeah, that's like just two joints, not the whole body. Like yeah. that doesn't account for the rest of the country. So that's it's even a, that's still pretty massive. It's very common. Yeah. Uh, one in three people over the age of 55. So, that's, obviously, it's more common in uh, older people. Mm. It's a lot of people. That is. I mean, like, literally, like, you sit at a dinner table with a bunch of people over 55, and, you know, 33% of them have the NEOA going on. That's kind of, and like, and if they're symptomatic and such, like, that's no fun. Yeah, actually, what I've just realized I'm not 100% clear on is if one in three people have symptomatic yeah. osteoarthritis. Well, I actually looked at that because again I oh, saw that. And I could, yeah, I couldn't find it. It right. didn't. It didn't say. It just said that they were diagnosed with. So again, if you go off the the basis of the diagnosis, which so certainly is interested when you look at the X-ray, they're often just looking at joint space or joint related changes. So there's a thing called like an osteophyte, which is like a little bone growth. So rather than having this nice, clean, pristine bone surface that you would normally see in younger people, you have these little bony growths called osteophytes. That plus joint, uh, reduced joint space, they can just term that as some form of degeneration slash osteopathic right. change. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find it. I was really interested because, like, if it's one in three people who you'd scan, then that, that's something. But if it's one in three people who experience pain because of it or in, or somewhat because of it, that's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. We might have to check on that. Yeah. But either way, it's not necessarily... I think, I think changes plus pain is not necessarily an inevitable part of inevitable part of aging, which I think is worth um, no. saying. I think a lot more people have the changes as they get older. Obviously, the more you the more you age, the longer, like the more everything kind of starts to break down. Obviously, we're all slowly dying in that yeah. sense. Well, yeah. Um, yes. It's true. But, you know, there are age-related changes to the cells, in the joints, you know, in the yeah. cartilage. The things become more brittle. Um, and pain itself doesn't have to be a bad thing, which we've spoken about at nauseam, I think. Like, pain, no. pain is just a signal, like any other signal. Exactly. Right? So. And so I think that's it. That's very important mm. to note. And so it's not necessarily a normal part of aging. And... Not everyone has those changes on imaging. No. Even even people, like the older you get, the more likely you're going to have the changes on imaging. Mm. And I think quite possibly the more likely you're going to have yeah. some kind of pain. But like I just said before, I have some level of degeneration mm. in my knees, in the, in the quadriceps tendons that have been shown on imaging before. But that was really related to that movement nutrition imbalance. Yeah. So I, th I think a similar thing holds true as you age it's just you've had longer a longer time to have an imbalance yeah, 100 movement nutrients and also a longer time to be exposed to levels of systemic inflammation from other stuff you know the modern yeah. diet the modern lack of sleep the modern um stressful mm. you know environments and so on and and i think it should be pointed out like there is a whole um bunch of research now that has come out that is more from i would say an allied health perspective right that is like you don't really need the scan anyway because the scan itself is like, look, it's gonna show something. And if you're gonna get the scan, the reason you would get it is it's gonna change your course of outcome. Mm -hmm. Okay, like that is the biggest thing. And like if you if you come, and let's say you think or know you have the OA, do three months of work first. Like it's, it's almost the same across everything. Do three months of, with, a, with someone you trust, like a, a smart practitioner or a movement coach or a health coach, do three months of work and see what the outcome is. If you've had zero change or it's gotten worse, then that's when you would look to do the scanning or a follow-up investigation. Because they're, they're often like, no matter how positive you can be around them as a person, most people will reflexively 
hear some words or get told some words and they're going to have a negative reaction to them because they're not, oh, there's no problem. There's nuances to all the things that can occur in a joint. Definitely. The, generally, the more you can avoid scans, the better. Mm. In, in, obviously, they have their place in terms of emergencies and clearing, you know, sinister conditions like yeah. fractures fractures or things that might need kind of immediate help mm. um but there is definitely something about seeing seeing a picture of what's going on inside your body and having someone say interpret that and say oh yeah that's bone on bone um th th there's a lot of power in language and even if you're not registering it consciously there's a subconscious change in mm. your perception of that area and Most similar to what we were saying with the wear and tear thing it can make you a lot more fearful of movement because you see you you see the scan and there's there's reduced joint space as in your bones are closer to each other there's less cartilage and someone's saying oh that's basically bone on bone and so now you've got this image of your joint as very fragile very degenerated very old um and you've got this, even just the, the word bone on bone, like uh, the amount of people I hear say, oh, my knee hurts because it's bone on bone. I, I hear all the but, time. It's like your, your foot and ankle and your wrist and hand are literally bone on bone. <laughs> like the carpals and metacarpals and, and, and tarsals, like they're all, they're all bone on bone sliding. Yeah, no one ever gives any credence to that. It's yeah. Like, like that should be explained somewhere. And, and so it kind of reduces your, it, it, it can send people into this cycle of, fear avoidance mm. which then feeds into less physical activity which then actually is worse for the joint yes <laughs> because physical there's a, a saying motion is lotion the more um, movement you get through an area the more circulation there is obviously the more waste removal there is the more stimulus of cartilage growth there is and so there needs to be balanced you obviously don't want to overload an area but you do need you do need to have some regular movement in order for a joint to be healthy. Yes. And so if you've got this image of this joint as very degenerated, very, um, you know, inflamed bone on bone, and you stop using it as much because of that, then that actually perpetuates the cycle. Yes. So, um, can't remember how we got onto that, but <laughs> uh, look, we like, I think that's important. It, it is. It's a good sort of tangent and it's important. And then, yeah, I think probably it's worth mentioning like what the current literature states, <coughs> excuse me, as risk factors for mm. getting like knee osteoarthritis. And again, I'm just going to read them out. And then I reckon we just, we, we quickly touch on all of them because I just, yeah. I think they're interesting. So the first one's age, right? Yeah. <laughs> it literally says age everywhere. The second one's weight slash obesity. The third one is <laughs> being sedentary. So like we've kind of touched on two of the three of those already. Repetitive use, a history of, so diabetes, cancer, and cardiovascular disease, joint injury or trauma. Literally a bunch of systemic issues that can occur in the body. Unfortunately, it does seem to think that females are more likely, which it's not a great deal, but 60-40 is still more women than men. And then there's a genetic predisposition for some people. Yeah. So I think when you look at all of them, it's like, it's like most things. I think you take that list and you can put that across a lot of different issues. Like, I don't think it's, that's a very bunch of specific issue for knee osteoarthritis. It's like a, oh, yep. Age, you get age-related changes, cool. Weight. Now, this whole weight thing is like the one that keeps popping up a lot, which I tend to disagree with on, in one spectrum because like it's not weight per se, I think is the problem. Mm. I think like you, unless you gained 20 kilos in a very short amount of time, we're talking like eight weeks, right? I don't think your body is not going to adapt well. I think what you'll find to more your point was like if you are not eating well and not sleeping well and you're slowly gaining weight across time, it's all of the behaviors that go with it that then has the end result of weight gain, not the weight itself. Yeah, and that just relates to general health, basically. Mm. And there are a lot of factors that go into obesity, and it's not really worth, exp it's not the topic of this podcast. Yeah. That would be a whole podcast in itself, and we'd, we'd probably want to get an expert in it on to speak to mm. it. But what we do know is that a lot of it is related to just poor general systemic health, and mm. some body types put on more fat, but it's it's worth noting that just, just because you sort of are outwardly not obese or outwardly not um, even overweight necessarily, it doesn't mean you don't have high levels of systemic inflammation from your lifestyle. It's where the so, term skinny fat came from, right? Yeah, skinny fat, yeah. 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 So, you know, you, you might not look outwardly very large or obese, 
but you might have a lot of extra visceral fat on you and either way you might still have high levels of inflammation throughout your body because you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not moving much. It's just that you, you don't have the body type that stores a lot of fat like someone else does. So there's, there's, there are those factors to consider. So yeah, weight itself, obviously weight and obesity, they're basically a risk factor for literally everything. Literally everything. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, just... It doesn't mean that the weight or the fat itself is the most important thing. No as much as just looking after your health, yeah. which, I, which I think is probably the better focus for most people who are trying to lose weight. Anyway, it's yeah. like focus on the health and the weight will probably and on, Yeah, it, it, it just becomes a mindset shift, right? Like yeah. it, it's just a mind, like, you know. It's, it's, it's very similar to focusing on function rather than focusing yeah. on pain. Like, yes, you want to get rid of the pain. Yes, you want to get rid of the weight. But if you focus on health and function, those mm. symptoms of pain and excess fat probably likely to yeah they start well. to change in some yeah. way it's yeah. just a more positive focus on rather than getting rid of something it's adding something into your life yeah so adding more function adding more health yeah when you when you get all that like you know you can straight away because we're about to talk about the outside of the symptoms like you you see changes and all that anyway when you start to just focus on like focus on the wins or things you can control things that are actually doable not necessarily the number of the weight or like yeah. all these other things like yeah. you know i mean it's there's a, a good thing is lead indicators and lag indicators. Mm. So pain and weight, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other things you could think of, are kind of like lag indicators. Mm. They happen sometime after you put in the work. Yes. Sometime after you make the change that will eventually lead to those things changing. But the lead indicators are like, are you, are you waking up easier in the morning? Do you have more energy throughout the day? Are you feeling more... Um, you know, are you enjoying act activity, physical activity more? Are you uh, eating, you know, are you cooking your own healthy food? These are like the lead indicators that you know eventually over time will improve your health. And the lag indicators are, are the generally, I'm not going to say the last thing to change, but they will be slower. Yeah, they're not to, they will quick. be slower to... Yeah. And it's kind of like you've got to build that foundation, right? Like once the foundation's built, a lot of things can start to happen more easily. Yeah. It's like you get on a roll, essentially. Exactly. It's inertia. But Momentum, you, yeah. yeah. You just got to get there, which is the trick. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health. But if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual, packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, the five Fs for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step -step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. The hardest part is getting it yeah. going and yeah. then keeping it going is generally a lot easier. Yeah. Which, yeah. which can be because of these lovely signs and symptoms of NeoA, which again, <laughs> They're very generic, aren't they? Like, yeah. you get pain and stiffness, which is, again, not always present, but often pain when you're weight-bearing, particularly through the knee. You get some form of grating or, like, creaking sort of crepitus sensation going on. And, like, I think that just those words again, like, when things don't move well, whether that is, like, you know, the, the knee joint, the hip joint, the ankle joint, the foot joint, the neck joint, like, any of them, like, you often get a bunch of those things. Swelling plus minus, but, like, pain, stiffness, tenderness, some yeah. form of sensation like that happens yeah again not very specific um to the knee itself but i did like the list of common problems i thought that was far more useful for people even though again they're a bit more generic it's like you might have problems putting on your shoes and socks standing up from a chair walking for a long period of time um stairs themselves seem to be a problem for a lot of things um, yeah. issues when running or doing your day-to-day -day activities whatever they may be shopping etc or in the garden like i think those things are more important to focus on anyway because like they're just tasks that you probably want to do in your day 
that are far more readily achievable to change than say potentially changing the crepitus sound or the creaking sound or that mm. sensation mm. like those lists there like I, I was like oh it's a really nice list like is that that, that tends to be the common problems for most people, to be honest. Yeah, and it's, it comes back to that concept of focusing on function. Mm. If, if, you're, if you can do all those things pain-free and you're getting through your day, generally the creaking and crepitus, the sounds that you hear from your knee, they're not nice to listen to. I get some sounds. I get some sounds on my shoulder. But I generally find most people who go from painful, like, pain and disability as in they can't do those sort of daily activities they can't do the sport that they love or they can't do the you know the activity that they'd like to do and they and they've got creaking and cracking if they go to having some creaking and cracking no pain and enjoying those activities they can they can live with it yeah generally um and and that is that is true there are a lot of there is a lot of people with creaking and crepitus myself included who don't have pain in the joint yeah and, yeah, like, I'm the same with my shoulder. Like yeah. it, it creaks and cracks and like it rolls over it, but it's totally fine. Like it moves well. It's got some good strength. It's pretty happy. Mm. And yeah, it doesn't bother me, which is the trick. Yeah. And probably also to mention for the, the therapists out there too, like you get, I mean, I, the term arthrogenic muscle inhibition was a word that I had never seen written. Have you ever heard? Like, arthrogenic muscle inhibition. Un- inhibition. I mean, it made sense when I read it, but I never heard the word. Just basically joint pain, which is causing muscles to Correct. activate less. Like, we really, really make things complicated sometimes for people. <laughs> but it's essentially what you find is that when you get pain in joints or around any site, like muscles tend to change the way that they function. So we kind of innately know this. You, you already mm. innately know this because you start to move differently when you have discomfort and pain. Yeah. What has been found with people with OA is that in the long term, because they keep sort of altered movement patterns or these different patterns, there's changes both at the spinal cord and then like, it says supraspinal, so just think I got much of the brain, okay? So we know there's gonna be changes around your motor cortex, your somatosensory cortex, all these things, the way that your brain sees the, the knee joint itself changes. And what you end up finding is like, um, you have a sensory deficit, so you're not really good with different types of sensation, whether that's touch, that's heat, that's cold, any of that stuff. You get weaker in the limbs. And again, I think those two particularly, or even the third one here, it's like altered muscle activation patterns. And the fourth one, reduced functional capacity. They all kind of come because of like a bit of avoidance and just like mm. lack of movement nutrients and lack of movement. Like a lot of it could change, I suppose, if you were to not have that. Or if someone was to educate you or if you were to know like, oh, I feel a bit of discomfort. What should I do about it? Because like yeah, you said a bit earlier, like people just start avoiding things, which then leads them to have this less functional knee or less uh, knee that doesn't do the thing that they want to do and then that cycle perpetuates which ends in those sorts of things happening yeah and i think a lot of people unfortunately have been told by practitioners in the past to avoid things that hurt and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a tough one because yes there is a role for avoiding aggravating activities when mm. it comes to the body because, well, yes, it can't tolerate that load, but it's really not enough to just avoid. Yes. You need to get creative and find a way that you can load the area without the pain or with, with very tolerable discomfort. Yeah. Which is a sign that it's still getting some nutrients in, even if it's, you know, say you can't squat down without your knees hurting, which was me. Mm. Can you squat halfway down? Yeah. Quarter way down. Yeah. <laughs> Can you squat a quarter way down? Can you squat a quarter way or a halfway down with assistance from your arms? Um, and you know, apply that to anything else <laughs> that you can imagine. Is there a way that you can regress the movement or exercise such that you can do more of it, load it mm. without the pain or with tolerable discomfort? If so, then that's what you need to be doing and you'll be very impressed at how your body then adapts to that and says, okay, I can I can move further now. Yeah, um, and adapts well most of the time. Oh yeah, to be honest, like it's very simple. Like when you start to, I mean, I've always I, I tell my clients this a lot is, and we've used it on the pod before. It's like slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm. Like when you learn to move slowly, you often find where muscles don't tend to work as well, like just different angles or different positions. And then you can really hone in on those bits, and they often never hurt. They're just a bit shaky or they're a little bit challenging. And then once you figure those things out and you start practicing the movement. It's like just naturally things start to occur, like things hurt less, you move better. And a lot of that's that sort of subconscious confidence that occurs. That's mm. just like, oh yeah, I trust my knee now, I'll bend over. 
Like, yeah. I'll reach over, I'll do these things without actually having to think about it, which yeah. is, again, it can, that can all happen if you have, again, I think the right environment, which encompasses a good practitioner, a good support network and everything else. Definitely. Well, that obviously is leading into the treatment. Oh, it's fun stuff. The fun stuff. So... Did you like my uh, all-sum few? Yeah, I was just looking at that. <laughs> so, so everyone needs to exercise. Yes. Is basically what we were just getting at. You need to exercise in some way. Yes, you m- there might be exercises that you can't do, and that's fine, but that doesn't give you an excuse to not exercise at all. You need to find some kind of activity. So I would say related to exercise, some kind of general physical activity that you can do, whether it's you might not be able to run, but can you walk? Yeah. You might not be able to walk a whole heap, but can you swim? So something that gets your whole body moving that is just giving you that, it's just that overall movement that your body needs in terms of circulation, in terms of lymph flow, all of these things. Um, and yeah, you might need to change the load depending on what you're able to do. So there's that general movement and then also some specific targeted exercises to load the area and to also load the areas around the painful Mm. say if it's the knee you need to be looking at how are your foot and ankle and hip functioning because those are the areas that can pick up a bit of that slack and also add that variability that we were talking about at the start yes exercise was the biggest one it came (laughs) up across every week of course yes um so i took that awesome few thing from uh one of the lectures i found on the glad program so that's okay, where right, it came from. It's like essentially all everyone needs to exercise and have education. Okay, like the I think those are the two big ones, and that makes the most sense. Like educating, which we'll go through what the Glad program is because I think it's worth people knowing. Yeah. Um, some is like there are sometimes it seems like there is some benefit around some form of medication or pain relief on cer- at certain times and all the time that can help. And a few are like there's very few people that probably need surgery. Okay, but there will always be like we always talk about it's at some point or there are some people that that is going to be the best option forward for their life sure. given this the situation but looking into the glide program so if anyone hasn't heard of the glide program it's actually called the good life with osteoarthritis denmark because it was developed in denmark um it's actually quite uh in the outline of it seems like relatively simple like and it's pretty lengthy so you essentially get an individual assessment so we like that we like individual stuff they test a bunch of things sit and stand your 40 meter walk a bunch of questionnaires and then there's like 12 supervised sessions over six weeks so it's essentially you going to any sort of uh, physical therapist strength conditioning coach exercise physiologist twice a week for six weeks and then you get retested then and retested three months with follow-up questionnaires and literally it shows like you know 36 percent reduction in analgesia consumption improved confidence reduced need for surgery, a whole host of like life factors, right? So it's been propagated to us quite a bit as physios because a lot you can mm. essentially become a GLAD practitioner. Mm. Uh, never did. I mean, you never, never I, I never did. I, I'm pretty sure we were told about it in uni though. And so like, we, I never did because I was like, I wonder what it is. So it turns out like it is just very simple. Like they've just got a model that's just reproducible across time. So like yeah. when you look at these exercises, they, they set it up as like you warm up, you have some, it says core work still. Um, some postural orientation stuff, some lower limb strength stuff, some what they call functional exercises and a cool down, like any sort of training session, essentially. Super, super basic, <laughs> fundamental. Yeah, it's just like go, go move lots of stuff, go load lots of stuff, and then make sure you're loading everything. So kind of to your point, like, you know, they're saying load your hip abductors, like load, load the glutes, load the groin muscles, like load your calves, like load, load everything around there mm. to take some of the, the bearing off the knee. And... I think that is like the most logical approach to it is like if you just break down the leg to like you've got foot, ankle, knee, hip, you've got muscles on the front and back side of it, are you essentially loading every single one of those in some way? Now, again, we, you could, and I'm sure people will, continue to debate for the rest of time what the best ways are to do that, right? There's heaps, heaps of ways, but like the, the, the point is you're doing it, right? And what I liked is that it went through, it talked about neuromuscular exercise. And it, was, uh, it didn't really go into like much of what they think you should do with that. But what I really liked is the idea, and we sort of mentioned it over, you have these sensory changes. I think that's where a lot of the play and balance stuff can come in mm. quite a lot. Like, cause again, like particularly with the whole idea of using the soulmate and stuff, you have this way of modulating balance that is very progressible and it's very like open for people. Mm. And I think like rather than just have this very generic program that you can do, it doesn't really incorporate any fun in there. There's zero fun. Mm. 
which I think speaks to the broader problem of like, you know, yeah, it's good to do exercise. We love it. But you need to incorporate some play or some fun into it. Because again, you need your life as a whole to sort of shift in some way, not just this exercise component. For sure. Yeah. That's an interesting one about the neuromuscular control and even like balancing. It's even that wasn't put on the program. Like that's... Balancing wasn't? No, no. It's like, it's not on there. And because I, find, I you... find that shocking. If you think about it, balancing, it's very, it's, it's low, generally low load. Yeah. So there are ways to increase the load on it. But if you were just say standing on one leg, it is low load, but it's a lot of constant little contractions and adjustments going on mm. through the whole area and generally will improve your ability to control your body weight and align your joints and everything over, over whatever joint it is that you're training. So I think, I think there's definitely something to that and adding that in. I think balance just like essentially makes you move better. And yeah. like by better, I mean you have more option. Like, well, all, all yeah. movement is a balancing act of Correct. sorts. It's just that same way, like I don't like the word core because I still don't know what it means, but like every exercise essentially involves your trunk mm. from a tricep pull down to a bicep mm. curl. Like you still have to stabilize or use your trunk in some way. So it's like balance is one of the best ways to do it. And particularly it adds that fun component to it. Yeah, and it, I, I think it makes your movement more efficient. Mm. Yeah, so I was shocked to see that that wasn't in there. Yeah. But I think like the general principle and, and how it comes Literally. to like, you know, treatment and doing things is like, yeah, go learn to figure out where are you sort of not able to use effort. So let's say you can't calf raise, maybe that's a good place to start. You know, you can't tip raise, maybe that's a good place to start. Go start loading all these things that are around the knee and then really just progress them across time and give it time. Like give it six to three, oh, six to 12 weeks and like yeah. get into it. And that seemed to be the general consensus. Yeah. And at the same time, I think this kind of comes under get education is just have a look at your general health. Yeah. That's like, you are absolutely going to get better results if you do some kind of physical activity, exercise, intervention, along with improving yeah. your diet, improving your sleep, improving your stress management. Yeah. We, could, we can just harp on that <laughs> all day, yeah. but it is very important and it deserves to be harped on. Um, yeah, it's just the medication injections. Yeah, stuff, which medic I, yeah. I, I like because again, these are also from sort of like the Glad's perspective and where the research currently was at. So like, I think most people have probably heard of uh, yeah, your NSAIDs, you know, non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, they've they've been shown to be a bit more effective than paracetamol, which again is not even just OA to a specific. Like that seems to be a common trend across mm -hmm. everything. Um, they weren't recommended though for people with other chronic diseases and particularly when there's stomach issues. Just again, I think. Most people generally now know that if you're taking lots of anti-inflammatories, there can be a systemic issue to your gut, right? Mm. So it's probably not super worthwhile. Other things like opioids, uh, cortisone injections. Um, I've never really seen like anyone get platelet-rich plasma injections or anything else, but like all of the rest of the things had very low evidence. Yeah. Low to no evidence. And I think what it comes down to again is like, it's a reliance on some external thing to try and make you feel better when you really have the power to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just so everyone knows, exercising and physical activity releases opioids. <laughs> it releases endogenous morphine, mm. endorphin, endogenous morphine. So there's a lot that you can get j just from your inside your body, your mm. brain. Your brain is the chemist. Uh, amazing chemist. And... I, I would say, I think the medications make sense, say uh, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, paracetamol, some, some kind of pain management on board, if that is really what you need in order to do your exercise sessions, then that, that's yeah. a case by case, that kind of makes sense, but it's really not uh, a standalone, it shouldn't be a standalone treatment. No. It, it, you should see it as a facilitator of more exercise within your limits. Yeah, I think it's probably like worth getting nuanced with that too. It's like if you have to keep taking them to really exercise, it's probably even worth looking at what you're doing for your exercise. Can it yeah, be regressed to a place where you can do it without needing them to build that confidence to then get in. But again, like you it's said, a point. It, it's a facilitator or it's a gateway to even just getting you to that first step of doing some exercise, then shit, I'll use it. Because like, I know the benefits of exercise and you have to play, you know, a game with people and some of like, well, how do they want to play this game of getting into exercise? Because 
you know, we're, we're lucky. We, we exercise all the time. We love it. It's just, we love moving. We love doing things. But like, not everyone's like that. So. People who are out of the habit, yeah. who have been out of the habit for decades, they may not tolerate it as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, but that's, that's a good point that probably first thing to try is regressing the exercise. There's always a regression. Like, a, yeah. always, there is always a way to step back in any exercise or any movement ever. Yeah, and you know, regress to progress. Yeah. Don't just regress and say, well, these are the only things I can do now. It's yeah. regress with the aim of building, of progressing again, building back up to what you previously couldn't do. Yes, yes. I think something, uh, I don't know if they touched on it or what you saw when researching the GLAD stuff, but it is group programs, isn't it? A lot of them are, yeah. A lot of them yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there is really something special in group pro- programs. Yes. And again, it's connection. It, we've talked about this before on the podcast, rela- like building connection and relationships with other people feeling a shared it's like a shared mission a shared purpose of we're all here working together to improve our symptoms mm. there's maybe people who who have I don't know exactly how the glad program works but potentially there's people who are further along it than you they're saying yeah I'm having improvements you know or even even people who aren't as as far along as you are saying yeah I'm getting some improvements it, mm. it builds this sort of belief in the fact that you can change as well. Positive feedback. All these other right? people are changing. Like it's, it's all just like a nice environment when it's like that. Yeah. And it, it, I think the more you connect with people, the more you show up as well. Mm. Um, it's easier to keep showing up. Obviously, there's, a, I guess, a financial benefit of doing a group program versus a one-on-one session. There are obviously benefits to one-on-one sessions too. But yeah, I think from, from my experience working with group rehab programs with back pain, eight-week programs, I really found the group environment and the, the atmosphere was one, what kept people coming back, and two, I think a big part of the therapeutic yeah. uh, effect was people, just the vibe, yeah. <laughs> which it, is not sci- not that scientific, but there is science to speak to it. Oh, there's definitely science to, 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 it. Yeah, to back to up, but the vibe is a nice way of yeah, putting it. It's the marble, it's the vibe. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the last so it's worth worth mentioning. Yeah. The last thing we have is surgery, which again, so this is interesting because this is such a mixed bag, obviously, for a lot of people. Um, it didn't seem like there was any real good um, instances of like arthroscopic surgery, so think of it just like going in and someone cleaning up some new joint surface or cleaning up the meniscus and stuff like that seems to be not much better but there was some really good outcomes and i've known some personal stories of, of like when they get their knees fully replaced hips fully replaced right like i have like you know my partner's father like you know his knee got replaced felt heaps better like moved heaps better and like he loved it i've known older people just different hospitals that worked out when i was a student like they get a hip replaced and like no no more pain mm. and like i think kind of to your point there's probably a whole psychosomatic thing that occurs with all that and there's Definitely. a whole bunch of other things that go with it but there seems to be these really nice outcomes for certain people but again what was said was like you still should give it time so even in the last thing i read was like two years you you should try exercise therapy for two years before you really go down that route to see if you can avoid it or if you can delay getting the you know hip knee replacements or whatever yeah generally everyone is agreement the longer you can delay the better yeah um it's, it's such an interesting one isn't it it makes you wonder it's all hypothetical really because again there's so many factors but mm. it really makes you wonder are the people who get those amazing outcomes from surgery or a full replacement for example are they the people with necessarily the worst arthritis or are they the people with the most ingrained belief that their degeneration in the joint is the cause? That's a great question. <laughs> and I do one, I've never... We, I've, we, none of us will have the answer. Probably no, no one has the answer. But we, we do know that there are psychosocial factors in all pain presentations. Mm. It's very interesting to think, you know, if, if you're someone who's like, it is the bone on bone that is causing my pain and you get a completely new joint... Yeah. You well, naturally, your pain's going to go away because yeah, like, oh, there's no more bone and bone. Yeah. So... It's a really good question. So if someone has the answer, feel free to give it to <laughs> yeah. us. If there's a research paper on that, I'd love to read it. Yeah, well, yeah, that would be very interesting mm. um, and something we can look into ourselves. But it, it makes sense. Obviously, I'm not going to... 
I'm also not going to sit here and say, oh, it's it's all in people's heads. The, you know, no. there there would be cases where there is so much degeneration in an area that sur- surgery just makes sense, mm. um, and it clearly has good outcomes. I, I would say, to add to that is, it's not going to have a good outcome if you don't then go and get active and yeah. physical after. I think that that is probably the key point to it. The outcomes often probably are great because they're almost forced to exercise afterwards. So like, they have some forced rest <laughs> and then very extremely gradual progression w- within range of motion limits yeah. along the way. Yeah. And like they know that if they don't, they won't be able to walk. Yeah. So I do wonder like how much that also factors into it in terms yeah. of like a nice gradually progressive exercise program. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, am, yeah, I'm not aware of the research when it comes to OA, when it comes to that concept, but there are, there is research around the shoulder, I believe, and other areas, maybe in the low back, where they do like a sham surgery. Yes. And they have very similar outcomes to people who have the real surgery. And they think that a lot of it is to do with the, one, the psychological uh, perception of my joint is now fixed. Mm. Uh, and two, the progressive rehab very slow, gradual, progressive rehab and thorough yeah. rehab. Oh, yeah. the, thorough, individualized. And consistent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, one, if you pay 10 grand for a surgery and you, know, you go through all that rigmarole, you're much more likely to... Uh, one, you kind of expect some pain along the process because you've had a surgery mm. and it's sort of, you know, you're okay with just gradually loading it through a little bit of tolerable discomfort. Mm. Um, and two, you just you're much more likely to be consistent and actually do it because you you pay ten grand. Whole, yeah, high, high, high cost, high value. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not to say there's no value in surgery. Of course, there is. It has its place. It has its role. But uh, if you know if you're someone who is considering surgery, or you know someone who's considering surgery, I think it's very important that you also understand the other factors that can go into your experience and yeah. pain as we've talked about and harped on today. We'll continue to. And we'll continue to every episode. Um, That's it. That's about it. That wraps it up. If you... Obviously very interested to hear from anyone who has had experience with osteoarthritis, um, whether you've had experience improving it or whether you're struggling with it, um, always happy to hear and anything that resonated with you from today's episode or anyone else who has any other knee conditions they'd like us to tackle yes on a journey yeah. up the leg yeah we haven't figured out what we're doing the next episode but we we will we actually we might take a break from conditions and do a breath one mm. it's been a while Touch we have on done the one in the past breathing. but breathing's very important and the world's changed now man we've got breath fluences now breath fluence. yeah. yeah aren't you a breath fluencer technically <laughs> yeah I actually got offered some stuff being a breath fluencer wow yeah Wow, you, you're making it. I know, huge. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, but yes, please always send through requests of conditions or topics you'd like explored. We, we love doing it. Mm. It's quite fun. It's just nice being out underneath the jacaranda. Mm. Very much enjoyed that. Yeah, hopefully not too breezy. No, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Mm. But you kind of need it in this heat. Yes. Cool. Right. We'll wrap it up. All Thanks right. for listening. See everyone. you guys. Ciao. See you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.